Alright guys, welcome to the Short Things a Little Differently. This is going to be part two of uh, us talking about the Guy Evans Nitro book. And the first part kind of just, I, <laughs> I ended up freestyling essentially um, some profiles just to get us up to date with some of the notes I've taken. So if you guys remember in the first part, if you haven't heard it, it's in the archives. Um, essentially, they had hired Eric Bischoff and Ted Turner at that point said, hey, how can I compete with Vince McMahon? And so that's how he got to Nitro. But WWE did not, excuse me, WCW did not have the structure that WWE had because WWE had been a company for many, many years. So they had, they had a merchandising area. They had a, um, a marketing area. All these things that WCW just did not have. So like some of the notes I took in this guy Evans book were how merchandise numbers were low, but it's because they didn't market the merchandise. Like you knew... At the end of the day, when there was action figures out, when there was video games out, you know what's funny is I watched both, and I always knew when a new WWE game was out, knew when there was new action figures out, like the Jack specific action figures are probably the ones I played with the most or had the most of at some. Well, now that's that's, that's not true now because of my collection, but uh, the point is at that time I knew when all those things were coming out. I had no clue until I started watching someone's YouTube channel. Can't remember the name of their YouTube channel. I want to give them credit. I think it's called 616 Entertainment. But um, until I started watching his history of WCW games, I had no clue there were WCW video games before uh, WCW vs. NWO World Tour. I did not know this. I did not know that was a thing. And it's one of those situations where um, I, it, it, how could you know? No one promoted it. And so, um, it's just, it's just, they didn't have any of these things in play, and, but no, so, the point is, none of these things are set up, but also at the same time, Bischoff isn't wrong here, no one, none of the higher-ups wanted WCW, even the higher-ups that, uh, spoke to Guy Evans said how much they didn't want, um, WCW, they just didn't get it, they felt it make their, uh, their, fan base lower class or their uh, viewership lower class that sounds really really freaking ignorant and so so the point is they, they were trying to figure out ways to get the merchandise up but they didn't know how because they didn't have the people in place for it that cared if that makes any sense like i said a few weeks ago one when they spoke about booker t's like action figure numbers uh, like he was a peg warmer and like because no one knew the action figures were on the shelf, and yeah, you could at the time you had KB Toys, Toys R Us. Um, obviously now you only have the Ringside Collectibles and um, Target and Walmart to go to. I know Toys R Us never really closed down in Canada, but we're I live in the U.S., so I can't sit here and s- say how big the, the stores are in Toys R Us uh, or in Canada. But I know some I know some Toys R Us are in Macy's stores. I have not seen these places, but I've been told they do exist in this country, USA. Um, but like they were talking about how Booker T's was peg warmers and no one knew. So people, they were banking on them putting stuff 
next to like so essentially we're banking on hey the wwe action figures are here the wcw figures will be right here they'll just see that and say oh a wcw figure let me tell you something i've been a collector my entire life even though i didn't know it when i was old younger i was being a collector i want i like the action figures i don't remember ever seeing a wcw figure on the fucking shelf i i have to be honest with you i've thought long and hard about this because i know for a fact i would have bought it you know i know i would have bought it like I know I'd seen other people, like, I know there's this one action figure I had. I might still have it somewhere. It was a Hollywood Hogan figure that someone bought for me for Christmas. And it was a large LGN version of it. And you press a button in back and it made noises or whatever. And so I remember someone else obviously saw it in the store. But I, where we lived at in Maryland, like, we were right, it was a one-way street in and out. But at the top of the street, it was a shopping center. You had a store, you had a KB toy store right next to it. I went to that KB toys all the time. That's how I bought my Ronin Warrior action figures. Um, so, like, we're not even against what Ronin Warrior is. But, yeah, I think a lot of times when you have peg warmers, it just, people eventually, they, they eventually have to take you off <laughs> the shelf. But, um, no, I remember that he specifically said Booker T's name. He said his merchandising for one year was $2,000. That's that's utterly two thousand, because no one knew they were on the shelf. No one knew what was going on. No one knew that that, that um, they were on there. But two thousand dollars for an actual dude, two thousand dollars alone should be what you get as soon as they put up, put them on the shelves. Like you dig what I'm saying? But they just didn't know that just because no one had tried to look. No one tried to market these things. You know, they just didn't have the structure in place. Um. Another another sign he has is that uh, Goldberg was offered a five hundred dollar a week deal by WWE first. He was first offered a deal by WWE, even though um, even though that even though WWE were talking to him first, um, like WWE offered him a deal first, and he said he just didn't want to be, to be down and you no know, doing doing like starting from the beginning making five hundred bucks. He said he had no interest in doing that. So he ended up having a deal with WCW, and within two years he was making he 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 he, he, ah, he renegotiated, and he had Barry Bloom, and this is an agent that he represents some powerful athletes, and he is known for his negotiation tactics. He still um, does this to this day, and Barry Bloom used to represent Sean Waltman, and Sean Waltman wanted to renegotiate his contract. And Eric Bischoff had a rule, doing air quotes, you can't see me doing air quotes, how he doesn't renegotiate, and that's why he fired Sean Waltman. And so, ironically, Goldberg comes out, and I, I, I get it, Goldberg's a much bigger star. Um, but it's ironic how just um, a year and a half later, Goldberg goes to him to renegotiate, and he has no choice. Goldberg legit had all the leverage. So, the next thing you know, I think Goldberg ended up making like 750k. So... You know, and, and then he got then he renegotiated to make over a million. Uh, I think I think the number was 1.5 million. So, uh, speaking of, let's just talk about Hogan's creative control a little bit. Hogan made the call to lose. He's seen how over Lex Luger was, and the plan they had talked about was that Hogan wasn't going to lose until he lost to Sting at Starcade, and then Lex Luger got over. And for those guys who don't know or wasn't watching or you're not old enough, let me tell you something. Lex Luger. He was hot. What I mean he was hot, 
Go and watch the WCW uh, 97 uh, show in August. It was the paper. It was, a, it was the night show before Road Wild. When he, no one knew Hogan was gonna lose. Not even the referee. And that's why when you see, I think his name is Randy Anderson, the referee's face when he like he grabs his head, he goes and he starts like going like, like, like pointing to the for the the bell ring because he didn't know. He thought Hogan was gonna win. Like Hogan made that call because Luger was, and obviously he was getting the belt back six days later. But it's probably one of Luger's high highlights. It was the last time he ever won the World Heavyweight Championship, but it was the highest he had ever been. Luger, I want to say about four months, was one of the guys that was fighting the NWO all the time. He was the one, anytime he put them in the rack, it looked good. The torture rack, it looked good. Like, it just was, it was legit a moment in time. And supposedly Sting was annoyed because he was supposed to be the one to beat him. But then Sting, I think, realized that, hey, it doesn't put really mess up my match because we're not banking on him being undefeated. We're banking on me being the final final boss to stop him from c- complete conquer conquering uh completely conquering WCW. And so um he made the call to lose that night, but no one knew but Luger, him, um and Eric Bischoff. And that's why the referee, if you look back at that moment and you see Luger being rocked and Hogan like giving the word that he gives up. That's why. Um, that I thought that was a smart move because at that point in time, he he was the hottest thing. He just was Luger. He just was hot. So um, what else? Bischoff. Speaking of '97, Bischoff blames himself 100% for. Now he didn't say this, but he, apparently this is what he told Guy Evans. He told Guy Evans that. It was his completely 100% his fault for the the finish to 1997's Starcade. Now I've never heard Bischoff say this out loud publicly, but he told apparently told Guy Evans. Now I've heard Neil, uh, not Neil Patrick. Listen to me. Um, what's his name? The referee of that match. Not Neil. Neil Patrick. Someone else. Um, Neil Pat. Let me look. Uh, Neil Patrick. Why did I get that from? What was it? No, no Patrick Harris. Uh, four, ninety-seven starting main event. Nick Patrick. There we go. So, <clears throat> so I've heard Nick Patrick's side. I've heard Eric Bischoff's side. I've heard Hulk Hogan's side. Sting has been the only one to this day he is mum about it because he, I don't think he fully understands it. The stuff he's heard. If you ask Hogan and Bischoff, he wasn't tan. He didn't look like he was in shape. A lot of stuff was going on in his personal life. And Sting has admitted to a lot of stuff being going, going on in his personal life. But that's where it's left alone, right? And what what happens in his personal life is none of our freaking business. So, And I don't want to know. Um, but um, essentially, that's why Hogan and him wanted to pull the, 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 the plug on it. Now, when the plan is made, Sting goes to Nick Patrick and says, Hey, make the fa- count nice and fast, okay? Patrick's cool. Hogan says, make it nice and slow, brother. Now, he doesn't know what's going on. So, he tries to find Eric Bischoff. He says, Nick Patrick says, I couldn't find this guy all day. He was he made sure he could hide somewhere. He made sure of it. I believe that, I do believe Nick Patrick couldn't find him. I believe Eric Bischoff did not want to be found. I believe Eric Bischoff looked at the situation and said, yeah, I think I'm good. Because I believe Hogan did not want... I believe Hogan himself made the call, I do not want to drop the title. And he didn't want to tell Sting that. 
And I believe that's why he put Nick Patrick in the position he put him in. And Nick Patrick brings up a good point. At that point in time, if he had really messed up that poorly and that badly, Hogan could have gotten fired. Sting could have gotten fired. He was still an integral part of all these storylines. So I, 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 I believe that. So Bishop saying it. Look here. If we told if, if if Guy Evans is being accurate, which I, I've never heard anyone ever dispute the accuracy of Guy Evans' reports on this book, because they all spoke to him. Look here. That's that's the first time he's owned it. But he's never owned it any other way. He's never come out and said it himself though. It speaks volumes of who he is. But another thing that Bischoff claims is that Kevin Sullivan did not book a lot of stuff that he said he booked. He said he didn't have a lot to do with the pen at all. But I find it funny how when it was some bad television going on, this guy says, well, I wasn't really booking at that time. I, I didn't have the book. I didn't have the pen. And it's like, dude, like this guy can't help himself. Eric Bischoff really cannot help himself. He, 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 it's like when things are great, he wants the credit for it, you know? When things are not great, he's like, nah, you know, that's kind of, that was the other homies. Like, I, I, I don't know if, I, here's the thing. Because Kevin Sullivan also says in his book, he was on the sideline for a lot of this stuff. Like, he had heat with a lot of people, you know, and when they sent Eric Bischoff home, you know, they had brought Vince Russo in. Then they sent Vince Russo home. Then they ended up going back to a booking committee, and they made Kevin Sullivan a booker. And he had a lot of heat with a lot of the mid-carders. They felt like he was holding them back. So the thing he did, which has been portrayed accurately, was he actually looked at making Chris Benoit the WCW heavyweight champion. Now, there was a caveat, because here's, here's how it went. It was uh, sold, WCW sold out. It was Benoit versus Sid Vicious for the WCW championship, and Arn Anderson was the special referee. I don't remember the circumstances of, and why Arn Anderson, of all people, was the WCW World Heavyweight Champion, but he was, uh, I mean, referee, but he was. So, um, Sid is in the crippler crossface. He's tapping out, but his foot is underneath the rope. Arn doesn't see it somehow. Rings the bell. WCW champion for one day is Chris Benoit. So, for these guys saying that he was only World Heavyweight, Ch- World Heavyweight Champion once, that's not true. Two-time World Heavyweight Champion Benoit is. Kevin Sullivan booked that to get the trust of the mid-cards, but by that time, they were already gone. Um, and that was and that was a huge embarrassment on their part that all four of them left. But all four of them got left, and I completely forgot about this story until I heard it again, a guy, uh, guy in his natural book. So... A bunch of mid-cards, not just Perry Saturn, not just um, Malenko, not just Benoit, not just Eddie Guerrero. A bunch of mid-cards, other ones, went to uh, Bill Bush and said, hey, we want Kevin Sullivan removed as Booker. They went there as a team. And uh, Mike Graham, who was friends with uh, Sullivan, supposedly pulled a knife on them. Supposedly. I've heard this story. and Everyone's been consistent about it. I mean, I've never heard... Uh, Malenko talk about it. I don't. I don't think I've heard Malenko talk much about those WCW days, though. To be honest with you, I don't like. I know he has a disease now. I don't remember exactly what disease it is, but I don't remember him ever like, um, really talking about any of that stuff. But um, anyway, he's the last one to really talk. Well, I guess Perry Saturn, but I don't think Perry Saturn does anything with wrestling anymore. But anyways, the point of it is. They still left, which was a huge embarrassment, and they, and they had to get there, and they got their unconditional release due to that, and I'm assuming they got their unconditional release on the premise of, hey, you won't sue us or anything, um, which makes sense, you know, and so I'm sitting there just like, that. all that is so fascinating to me, because it's just like, one, 
why are you? Why do you have a knife in the the business office? Like Mike Graham had a a, a office in the WCW building, so I'm like, but why? Why? That makes no sense. <laughs> and so, but anyways, he had a knife, so th- there you go. Um, but anyways, yeah. So uh, there's so many contradictions in this thing with with, with um with, with Bischoff and and so. I, I don't know how I truly will ever feel about his take on things because there is a ton of people who worked on the business side of WCW and they said specifically they were like yo like we were spending too much money apparently they they spent so much money on this new logo and the person didn't like it so they sent it back and they made a new logo and that was like that was like a hundred thousand dollars out the window and the air bitch was like right, that's bullshit he tells this we tells the guy evans he's like that's bullshit we never one time did that these people who are these are the people who actually worked on it why are they lying why is everyone lying but you like his takes are so bad because i'm like you geez look well i mean this dude guy evans got legitimately everyone he could think of at the time that worked in different departments the, the consensus is hey look eric bischoff's hands were tied because you know we didn't have the, the structure we needed but he does need to own this part and everyone says he wasted money all of a sudden he didn't waste money when a guy says um the reports say he lost 11.1 million dollars we never lost that much money maybe 10 like bro you lost fucking money man playboy you lost money that's what it is you know, it's like he just he gets he just gets so offended by everything, and it's like I don't know what to, I don't know what you're looking for out of this deal. You're not gonna get it though because you you, you come off so poorly. You know, um, DDP, uh, and this goes back to the the booking of the third man. He pitched himself to be a third person because he said, "Hey, I have the biggest connection to both of them." But he wasn't a start at the time. DDP wasn't even nobody. DDP was legit a nobody at the time. But like it, technically, personally wise, it made sense. But no one knew that they were friends personally. Like he, no one knew that. So yeah, so that that was that was interesting. That DP, I know, I, I never knew DP pitched himself, pitched himself to be that third person. That's interesting. Um, third Thunder was added, um, while Bischoff was on vacation, and he didn't want to do it, but WCW wanted to do it, and they were like, hey, we're we're we need we like the ratings, we need more ratings. And the problem with Thunder is it became quickly the B show. Like, after the initial excitement of it, people saw what it was, and then it started being taped because standards and practices um, were like, hey, we, you can't do this, this, and this. So Thunder was a taped show, and so legitimately they had to write essentially three TVs for one shot when they had to write scripts. So essentially they had to write Monday's show, and then they had to write Thursday's show, and then, if anything changed on Thursday, they need to change Thursday. They didn't have to rewrite Monday, the following Monday's show. So that sounds like a shit show as a writer for a writer. It sounds like a shit show as a company. Uh, if, if we're being 100% honest with each other, um, but yeah, that's just not a thing. Speaking of video games, WCW and THQ's relationship. I always wondered how or why they never made another video game, and then THQ ended up making. Was it was it WrestleMania 2000 and then they made No Mercy? Uh, I, I always wonder what happened. And essentially, what happened was uh, the relationship ended with WCW and THQ over royalties. So I was like, oh wow, like that's amazing. You know, I I did not know that. Um, Mark Henry also 
was uh, they were interested in Mark Henry, and Mark Henry ended up saying, I did I had no I knew at the time Mark Henry I never knew the numbers, but I knew at the time Mark Henry um, had signed a very lucrative deal for WWE, um, but um, but I didn't know he, he signed a ten million dollar deal. I remember Mark Henry when we came in. I didn't know who he was. I remember he was an Olympian and all that type of stuff. And I remember vividly um, hearing later on shoot interviews how Mark Henry like was like being very protective because like they signed him to a big time deal. And and this book got somehow 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 guy was got information that he had he got a ten million dollar deal off the gate in '96. Jesus Christ, that had to be the most lucrative deal in WWE history at the time. I think another thing about I think Mark Henry wasn't Mark Henry. I think Mark Henry was was one of the first. I don't think he was the first, but I believe Mark Henry was one, I believe Mark Henry was was one of the first to have a um, guaranteed contract. I think he was the second one to have a guaranteed contract. I think Mark Merrill was the first to have a guaranteed guaranteed contract. Um, Buff Bagwell spoke about when Vince Russo came in, and what I might do actually is do like a, a profile on Vince Russo at some point in time as well. But um, if anyone watched WCW at the time, Buff Bagwell was over. He had his little his little cocky dance he did. Um, he was an all right wrestler, but he was definitely more of the entertain on the entertainer side of things. And at one point in time, he was uh, having a match with La Parca. And for those of you guys who don't know, La Parca is La Parca is a a, a a Mexican wrestler, and he um, was one of those guys that he was very very. Um, how do I word this? Very, very. Um, he had a lot of charisma. He he's known for a ch- having a chair all the time and doing a dance, a little dance. But he wasn't the first Laparka. He was the second Laparka. Um, anyways, very charismatic wrestler. But he was to wrestle Laparka versus Buff Bagwell. And the way that Vince Russo booked it was he wanted to show the mid card. Mid cars like we're getting gonna get a chance now because now the mid cars are gonna get a chance. And so essentially, what happened was he wanted Buff Bagwell to go out there and break the fourth wall, do air quotes again, and lose the match and lay down. Well, Vince Russo, well, Buff Bagwell did that. He laid down. He 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 got pinned, and then he got up and said, "Hey, powers that be, are you watching?" And so essentially, Buff Bagwell, who was very complimentary of a lot of people in this whole thing. He said in the, to Guy Evans, he said, "Hey, you, you just they, they didn't want to see the insider stuff." He says, "Well, not with Buff Bagwell. The fans just wanted to see me, so you should let me be me." And like, well, I mean, he was very complimentary of things. He was very complimentary of of things to where like he gave Buff, uh, excuse me, he gave Vince Russo credit. He gave um, Ed Ferrara credit. He gave a lot of people credit, right? And, but this particular situation said he said bothered him because he said the fans the, and I agree with him at that time, no matter what if you what you could think he's corny you could think he's whack but Bagwell so you could think the same thing about uh, what's his name the guy does the the the, 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 the dance the, the Wonder Kid whatever his name was the one who did that little dance whatever people whether they were making fun of it or not were okay with just watching them do their shtick they were they didn't need Disco Inferno to be serious at all. They want Disco Inferno was not a bad wrestler, you know. He was just a better entertainer for what his gimmick um, called for, and so he no one wanted to see the all the inter- like for as much as the inside references can be cool at times. Like example, the pipe bomb from CM Punk. That's the perfect mix of reality and wrestling. That's a mer- perfect 
a mix of insider focus, insider focus, but wrestling entertainment. When you have people calling out the 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 powers that be, air quotes again, all the time, it's it makes it kind of hard to like enjoy it because it's like it's so insider. Especially at that time, there was there was, there was fifteen people on the freaking internet. No one knew what was going on, you know. So they didn't really know all these things. You know, so it, it became, it, it did become a big much, but he's right when it comes to himself and, and what and what his fan base wanted. They didn't care about it. They wanted to see him come out. See, he, he was like, he was always like, I'm buff and I'm the stuff. That's all they wanted from him. It, it, not, it, it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. You get what I'm saying? Um, so I do think when I point that out, because I think that in the microcosm was what the problem was with. A lot of things Vince Russo came in and did, you know, um, and and also, and I, I'm staying on Vince Russo for a reason here because he tells the genesis of Vince Russo. I didn't know this was what Vince Russo did to get on. So essentially, um, what happened was Vince Russo used to hold uh, own a video shop, and then a blockbuster. Um, came up for those of you who don't know what blockbuster is um back in the day um people used to rent videos videotapes then it became dvds um and you would rent them and then for a fee you could um keep them for longer or for a fee you pay for them but then you got feed if they weren't if they were late or if they weren't if you didn't rewind them i don't know why rewinding led to a fee Maybe because it could have been spoilerific. I don't. I don't. I don't know exactly. I never worked at Blockbuster. But anyways, um, he was he owned a video shop, and then his money went down a lot because uh, Blockbuster moved in right across the street and essentially took uh, took him out, uh, out. It doesn't say in the history of this if um, if they offered to buy him out, he just didn't. It sounds like they didn't though. But anyways, essentially Vince Russo was offered to you know write. Um, uh, some, some, uh, essentially, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Articles about WWE and WCW, and so he would bash WWE all the time in these articles, and so uh, he had a partner at the time. I, I sure wrote. I was driving, and I was driving to, uh, I was driving a long distance, and so when this part came up, I, I, I promise you, I was looking for a place to stop. I was on a, a major, not even a major highway, but I was essentially. Nowhere near a rest area. So I couldn't pull over and write you guys name down. But essentially he had a partner that he worked side by side with. And these articles got the attention of Vince McMahon. And Vince McMahon had, had through feelers offered to meet up with Vince Russo at a, a, a symposium. And so all of a sudden, um, after some the the, the 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 symposium, Vince Russo comes back and tells his partner, Hey, I'm no longer gonna bash WWE. Uh, there's a way we can get. It was a. There's a way we can both get in, but we can't bash them. So his partner was like, "No, nah, this is what got us on. Like we need to do this." But from what it sounds like, sounds like Vinny Rue made a deal, and that the deal was, "You don't bash me, I give you a job." Well, he soon part ways with his original business uh, partner, and that leads to him then becoming the editor of WWE magazine, and the rest is history. I did not know any of that backstory, but I, I knew he came in as the um, the I, I knew he came in as the the, the, the editor for the magazine, but I didn't know he had a, a, essentially an article before that. I did not know that. Thought that's fascinating. 
And anyways, and last thing we'll talk about in this particular in, in this in this episode is um hold on a second. Um okay. Um last thing we'll talk about in this episode is the WCW Thunder, Ric Flair, Eric Bischoff feud, which was a very real feud. They're friends now, but they, they hate each other. So essentially, Flair was booked for Thunder. And Bischoff and him have had to tell the same story as however many years. And essentially, Flair was booked, but Flair says he took time off that week to go see his son's wrestling trials. And so he's always maintained that. His son has even maintained that and said, hey, you know, um, that's true. He, he, he came to see me at wrestling trials. And so they want him there. So they had to rewrite um, everything. Now, mind you, also at this time, now you have standards and practices now that's pretty much taken over WCW. And essentially what's happened is, is now they have all these rules in place. If you're late, you get fined. If you don't show, you get fined. Unless you've already had these things pre-approved. But once again, I don't... I've only heard these two sides of the story. J.J. Dillon was head of talent, uh, talent relations at the time. He's never said anything either way about it. So I, I wonder what... Um, what his take on this all this is, if he has one. Uh, but essentially, after this happened, Bischoff is so mad that he sends Flair home, essentially tries to fire him, I guess, or does fire him, and he goes and has a meeting. He was big on these meetings. Like, I keep hearing about all these... I keep, I keep hearing Guy Evans say about how many meetings Eric Bischoff had. And Eric Bischoff had a meeting. And this, speaking about unprofessional, he has a meeting with all the talent before WCW Nitro saying how he's going to starve out Ric Flair and Ric Flair and his family are going to be homeless. Holy shit, this is the president of the fucking company saying this out loud to people. Imagine if we had more cell phones then. Someone would record that and Bischoff would be sued for everything he's fucking worth and then WCW would have been sued and so would, and so would have Turner. Holy shit, I've heard this story before, but hearing it here and hearing some of the verbiage that was used, like I've heard, I've never, Eric Bischoff has never said what he said in that meeting. He said it wasn't that harsh, but like I've heard other people say, yeah, he said, he, he just said he was going to starve him out. Right. But hearing what some of the wrestlers told Guy Evans, what he said, holy shit. And I believe their version of the events with this one, because I remember there was a, it was a, it was a DVD. I, I, I know for a fact it's on Peacock. It was on a DVD focused on WCW. I don't remember the name of it. Sorry, guys. But he did admit to having a meeting about it. So, like, he's admitted to having a meeting. But he, he really played it low. And I was like, oh, you said something. You, you didn't fucked up. You said something. Like, you fucked up hard. You said something. So, I don't know. But, um, anyways, either way, um, that's, that's part one. I mean, that's part two. Um, I'm going to finish listening to it. I, I will take... Um, I mainly listen to this thing when I'm driving. That's why it's so hard for me to take notes. Um, so I want to find a way to where I'm listening to it when I'm just around the house and have my notepad with me. And I could like write it down. But I, I just I work so often that like I'm just not home a lot. But I will find a way in these last four hours to find make sure I'm listening when um, dang when I'm around a notepad. But those are some those are some of the highlights. And I I'm a, I thoroughly I look here. This 30 minutes is not even a percent of what I've been learning and the numbers and everything that's involved. So I, I, I find it to be very fascinating. So anyways, that is your Monday show. I am the Slow Chemical, and this is I See Things a Little Differently.